Are you the kind of gal who's not interested in how things used to be in the hair industry? Who wants to hear from ladies that are paving their own way while making waves? Well then, She Makes Waves is for you. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayuga, and join me as I interview and learn and get curious about other hairstylists I believe are living life on their own terms, defining what success means for them and living lives in alignment with that. Let's dive in. All right, guys. So today I'm going to share some of my major takeaways from Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the Heart. Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. So I decided to actually give this to my besties this year for Christmas. It was a beautiful book and I didn't get it for myself. I think I just know I'm in a season where like reading is kind of hard for me to do. So I decided to listen to it. So in listening to it, I've had some major takeaways and I feel like everything that Brene Brown does is really awesome. But this book in particular, I found myself listening to it and being like, oh, I got to write that down. I got to write that down. So I thought I would share with you guys just some of the things from the book that as I listened, I thought, oh my gosh, I got to write that down. So it's kind of, it goes through all the different human emotions and, you know, just kind of like what gets in the way and pride and all these things. And um, I even learned about one called hubris, which is... uh, just like it's not a good emotion. It's it's kind of like the opposite of humble. It's just, it, there's so many um, emotions that we don't have access to or we don't know how to name. And Brene was saying that like for a lot of us, it's like we can name three emotions, like happy, sad, and angry, but that there's so many other emotions that um, we experience and don't necessarily have language for. Um, but I thought I would just jump in with, Something that uh, I that took with me was language matters. It changes how we feel about ourselves. And so when I heard her say that, I thought to myself, I got to get my kid out of that daycare. But also I thought about how so much of who we are is shaped by how we're spoken to, how we're treated. We're kind of shown in a lot of ways, like what, you know, we're shown kind of like you know, through the way people talk to us, what we're deserving of. And that is so not true, but it's what our minds believe. And I know for myself, I, I've struggled in my life to find worthiness. And where did that come from? What happened to me? Um, and I think that realizing that, you know, the lack of consideration, the lack of um, checking in with what my needs were, not having um, been a real big part of the decision-making in my childhood. Uh, Just so many things shape um, how we show up. But I think the way we're talked to, like the language component of it, I thought when I read that it changes how we feel about ourselves. So it changes how we show up. And it really just, it, there's so many people, you know, when you meet them and you're like, God, that person, who would they be if they hadn't, you know, been treated the way they're treated? And it's kind of a tangent, but a few of my clients have been, you know, mental health care providers in prisons. And the thing that they have in common when I've spoken to both of them was one's gotten out of it and became a paralegal and another one is still in the field. And they both said the hardest part of that job is realizing that 
No one's actually crazy. Their behavior always made sense. And it became too much for my one client to bear. And the other one was saying that's the most challenging part about her job is that if you learn someone's story, if you learn what they've experienced, what they've endured, how they've been treated, their behavior has never been out of, it's not out of thin air. And so that was something that I knew prior to reading this, but also uh, in reading it really felt like that confirmation. And Brene said something in her book that I'm trying to remember because I was like, oh, it's on that same topic of how we're treated. Oh, she said that it's really hard to hate somebody close up. And she might have worded it differently because I'm going to butcher all these things, but these are my interpretations. So take them for what they are. And I found that to be true in my life as well. You know, like I can create a story around someone, a narrative, a whole situation. But if I actually like put my guard down and I just actually get present, like I was saying earlier of like, no one's behavior is, is really out of thin air. It's like, there's reasons. And I think that's what she means by that is like, if you take the time to like talk to someone and see that person, you can understand them a lot more. And you're not as like irritated because you're like, okay, this makes sense. And, you know, I'll be having a conversation with someone like I recently had with a friend and she said something about, oh yeah, like my brother-in-law, you know, his sibling is this. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense because I bet you he blank, 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 and you start connecting dots. And I think that every person has this like dotted roadmap that takes you and it explains behavior, right or wrong, it explains behavior. So that was one of my major takeaways. Um, Another thing that I loved what she said was, you know, when we feel better than someone, when we're judging someone else, um, you know, it's like, it's a way to stay out of our shame and the things that we need to process and feel. And so one thing she said was better than is a few seconds away from worthlessness. So when we do that, like it's a few, like we might feel better in that moment, but it's not like the gift that keeps on giving being, being superior to someone actually the, the, like the adverse side of that is, we swing back down to feeling bad pretty quickly. It's not like a sustainable, uh, you know, mode of going through life. It's like we're doing that to stay out of our stuff, but then we inevitably fall back in and then we, you know, we feel bad because it doesn't feel good. It's not, it's not, it's not sustainable. It's not kind. It doesn't actually give us what we're seeking. And attachment masquerades as love. More to the story. Oh, that's me reading another quote I have. Attachment masquerades as love is just, it's a thing by itself. And I love that because so many times in my life, I thought I was loving that person by controlling or being attached to an outcome. And I actually feel like it keep, you know, it's, it's, it masquerades as love. It's not true love. Like I think so many of us have been, uh, not really shown what real love is and real love is, I love you regardless of what happens. I love you regardless of if we stay together, I'll love you regardless of what you choose to do. 
And so often it is that attachment that we're actually kind of committed to, not necessarily love. Because attachment is contingent, I feel, in my for myself on something. It's like I'm attached to the way things are. I don't like change. I, you know, I think like a lot of times, like when I look back on my life when I thought I was happy, but I was really just attached, I realized it was like craving certainty, right? So attachment um, and being like, you know, comfortable with someone, I think can give you the illusion of being happy and like, this is like, this is it. This is the end all be all, but it's actually a trick. It's a trick because attachment is, I don't know, it keeps us from having to feel bad. It keeps us, it keeps us safe and it doesn't make it real, you know? So that one, that one got me. I jumbled up my words there, but it got me. Another one is that the brokenhearted are the bravest among us because they dare to love. And I loved that because if you've had your heart broken, and I've had my heart broken at least three times off the top of my head, like really broken, and you still put yourself out there, and you still show up soft, and you still... What did Brene's quote email say today? I act like I'm best friends with her. I'm like, what did she say to me last time we talked? But it said something about like, stay awkward, stay brave, stay kind, something like that. It's like, it takes a fuck ton of courage to show up when you know what it's like to have your heart shattered and to like still, you know, be open. And I love that because I think so often we think bravery is, is some grand gesture of like, wow, look at that person, like, walking that tightrope and it's not so literal you know it's like look at that person like putting themselves out there to love again after it didn't work for them the last time I think that hopefully out of this time really a telemarketer tries to call me in the middle of my emotional podcast I don't know I just think that that's something when I look at people that put themselves out there and some people's stories that you know, you're like, that person has all the reason in the world to protect themselves and to not be seen, risk being seen because like they know that it could go south and they still do it. I I just, that that stuff trips my trigger. I just, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, kind of like parlaying that the brokenhearted are the bravest among us they dare to love. It's kind of like, there's always going to be someone, as she, Brene says, like in the arena in the cheap seats that wants to like share your your downfall or your loss or the thing that didn't work out in your life and the brokenheartedness. Like they might want to point at it or poke fun at it, but really, like they're not in the arena. And so, as Brene says, we're not interested in their feedback because we're in it and uh, we're giving it our all. And so I loved that one. And then my, I saved my favorite, my most favorite quote from the whole, whole book for last. It's sarcasm or irony. Are you dressing something up in humor that actually requires clarity and honesty? Ooh, baby, this one got me. In my life, I have used humor to allude to the way that I'm feeling or make a joke about how I'm feeling. 
And I think that in recent years, something that's really, really helped my communication is to be more honest and to to have more clarity involved in what I'm saying and to not dress. I love what she says about, are you dressing something up in humor? Because I am really good at it. Like I'm really good at being like funny about things. And I think that it has been a gift, but it has also been something that has gotten in my way because I feel like sometimes I can be too self-deprecating or, you know, like the latest way that I do that is like, I'm really still grieving the loss of my beloved dog. And in a way to like be funny, I say things like, oh yeah, I've been filling out questionnaires for dogs and like, don't worry, like I'm not stable enough. No one's going to give me a dog. Like, and like all of that's true because I'm filling out these questionnaires and just writing stories about my Capone baloney in these, in these, um, you know, questionnaires where they're asking like, where would you take your dog to the vet? Or where would you? And in an effort to be funny, I tell people like, yeah, I know like it, it says like, where would you, what vet would you go to? And I say, well, Capone went here and then he went here and we figured out what was going on with him. And I, I write stories about him and part of me, it, it's true, but I'm making a joke to when I tell people like, yeah, I mean, I'm not stable enough to get a dog. And they're like, oh, but then when I really get past my funny joke, I say, yeah, I'm just still really sad. And it's funny because it's not funny. But what I mean to say is I'm, you, I'm dressing something up in humor um, instead of just saying I'm just still really sad. And it's not like a slam on myself. It's just, I'm just observing and noticing. Um, and I actually had a friend point it out to me. Um, she's like, oh my gosh, like I used to do that too. Like I would say like, oh, I've been writing in my journal to my dead dog or whatever, however she worded it. And she's like, and I was, but I like made a joke out of it, but it wasn't a joke. And I thought, Brene, I think this is what you're talking about. And it's like, it doesn't seem like anyone's getting hurt, but it's covering up, it's dressing up something that like, I'm afraid to just say. So I didn't mean to end this on such a emotional note, but Brene does that to me because she connects us with ourselves again. And, um, I highly recommend this book. Uh, I hear that it's beautiful, like the illustrations in it. So if you're in the, in the mindset of reading right now, pick it up because I think it's a really cool coffee table book, but it's also a book I want to kind of re-reference because connection and, you know, being in connection with people is, is honestly, I think what we're all like, what makes the world go around, what makes our lives meaningful is the connections we have. So it's definitely a book worth getting. Um, and yeah, those are my major takeaways. If you listen or read it and you have major takeaways, share them with me because I, I can only, I can only text while driving so much. Just kidding. I don't text and drive, but I was trying to write down everything I heard and it was hard to do. So please share it with me. Also, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing this podcast, it would mean the world to me because it gets in more ears if you write me a review. Have a wave making day and I will talk to you soon.